Recorded live. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Alcinea. It is spring and April of 2014. The birthing revolution is being recognized globally, offering women the opportunity to choose how they experience their birth, whether medicated or natural, in a hospital, birth center, or at home, all leading to a positive shift in consciousness surrounding mothers, their babies, and the thousands who support the birthing process. What an exciting time for humanity in the evolution of our human species, changing the world through conscious birth. Evolution Revolution is focused on offering the listeners intuitive and balanced information that fosters transformation both personally and globally, ultimately raising the consciousness on planet Earth. Please explore more about myself, Evolution Revolution, Voices of Change, past guests and archives, media articles, services, and much more at www.dulcineacontreras.wordpress.com and in iTunes by searching in the podcast section, Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea, Voices of Change with Dulcinea, or by just using the keywords Dulcinea Contreras. Thank you for joining the show today wherever you may be listening. Today on Evolution Revolution, I am honored to have an appearance from Barbara Harper. The Oregonian newspaper referred to Barbara as the Billy Graham of water birth when they described her missionary style of promoting water birth around the world. Interviewed by magazines and newspapers and websites on a weekly basis, Barbara's mission of making water birth an available option for all women remains steadfast. Her expertise in water birth and gentle, undisturbed birth is widely sought in all areas of the globe. She has lectured in 43 countries, including many medical schools, nursing schools, midwifery programs, and university women's studies departments. Barbara has been interviewed by hundreds of newspapers and magazines and has appeared on dozens of radio and TV shows to talk about her work with water birth and gentle birth. Barbara started her career in maternity as an RN, but not your regular run-of-the-mill nurse. She was always passionate about mothers and babies, even in nursing school. Her maternal grandmother was a nurse and midwife and worked in rural Mercer County, Ohio, where Barbara learned from an early age what service, sacrifice, and hard work were all about. She founded Waterbirth International in 1987 after visiting Russia for the first time and sitting down with Mr. Tchaikovsky, where she was influenced by his complete faith in birthing women and their babies. She also worked extensively with Benny Dancy in the early 1980s, learning to respect the cognitive but repressed experiences and memories of birth in all our lives. Single with three children, Barbara has dedicated her life to helping heal the way we welcome babies into the world. Her two youngest sons were born at home in water, and her daughter, Beth, the oldest, was born in a typical 1970s-style hospital birth. Barbara moved in 2009 from Wilsonville, Oregon, the suburb of Portland, where she raised her children over a 17 period to the beautiful east coast of Florida, where she is finally warm and living alone, but rarely home because of her demanding travel, schedule, and deep commitment to educating and birthing women across the globe. Welcome to Evolution Revolution, Barbara. It's an honor to have your presence and consciousness appear on Evolution Revolution. Thank you so much, Dulcinea. It's a pleasure to speak with you this afternoon. So why has the norm in the U.S. become the last 50 years hospital technological-based birth, and how is the gentle birth paradigm influencing women to recognize that they have another wonderful option? Well, that's that's a that's a heavy topic, Dulcinea. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but let's just dive in, so to speak. Um, when I first started nursing school in 1972, so that was what 40, <clears throat> 42 years ago. Um, <clears throat> hang on, I'm choking already. Mm. No problem, no problem. Um, the cesarean section rate in the United States was 5%. And most women gave birth um, with a local anesthetic. It was usually called a spinal block. 
and it was given very much at the end of the labor. So your labor was, um, you know, I was thrown into a maternity unit and to support women and hold their hands and and uh, was taught how to catch babies, um, um, not deliver babies. But um, prior to about 1950, the majority of births happened at home. <laughs> and we could even say prior to World War II. But with the 50s and the post-war boom in childbirth, there was a there was a shift, a, a, a very rapid shift from birthing at home to birthing in the hospital, and I'm I'm not quite sure why it exactly happened, except in my own research, I discovered articles and um, um, and in journals, medical journals, as well as the lay press, like Ladies Home Journal and and Red Book and things like that from the 50s, that basically told women, we doctors have all the answers, we can make childbirth easier for you, you won't feel anything, we can knock you out, and you can wake up later and, um, and, and see your new baby. So, they kind of sold women on this um, modernization of childbirth practices without exploring the long-term consequences of what that modernization would do to not only the mother, but especially the baby. And in the late 1970s, early 80s, we started seeing some of those consequences and connecting the dots that, um, you know, women wanted autonomy in their births. They didn't want to be knocked out. They didn't want to be separated from their babies immediately. They didn't want their babies to be warehoused. They wanted their husbands to be present. And they wanted the services of midwives. So the... There were women even in the 1980s that handcuffed themselves to their husbands so their husbands could come into the delivery room with them. And every point along the way for the uh, humanization of birth, if you want to call it that, uh, for the gentle birth movement, it's been directed and motivated by the women who are having the babies. It's been from the from the ground up, from the from the from the you know feet on the floor. I want to give birth standing, squatting, sitting, um, or in a bathtub. All of that came from women, not from doctors who um, saw the change. You know that that this was possible. So that's kind of a very rough history. And let me tell you, the American College of Nurse Midwives was only founded um, next year will be the 65th anniversary. It was 1955. So in 2005, it was the 50th anniversary of the American College of Nurse Midwives. So it's um, it's in this this period, this recent 50 years that we've been trying to educate women on all of their choices, because if you don't know what your choices are, you're limited to what is offered to you. And I've always said that the hospital is kind of like um, going in and not being given the rule book, and you just take it as it's presented to you that that this is what you have to do. So as I traverse the globe, and by the way, it's up to 55 countries now, and uh, this month I'll, I'll travel to Brazil, and that's number 56. Um, but it, it's, it's rampant throughout the whole entire world, everywhere midwifery as a gatekeeper for women's health was eliminated. In those countries where midwifery has a strong historical background, like England and Scandinavia and Central Europe, where it was never lost, uh, midwifery skills are, were present, and so women always had that those midwife options. 
But everywhere else in the world where it's been eliminated, like South America, Central America, North America, Asia, and even in India, midwifery was um, thought to be, um, you know, the the old way, the the backwards way, the the way of the peasant. So educated women and industrialized societies must industrialize birth. And that was the, the thought. And we're, we're not going back to the dark ages. We're not going back to um, um, bubonic plague and things like that. No, we, we've come way too far. And we're at a precipice now where we have seen what the consequences of industrialized birth have created in society, and we'll talk about that, um, in in individual people and in society as a whole. And I love that your show is called um, Evolution Revolution because we're talking about the evolution of the human race here uh, through birthing practices. So that gives you a slight overview that is so powerful, and I, I, I think it's pretty uh, fascinating that as a human species, we've birthed for 19 centuries or 19 and a half centuries, you know, at home quite organically, and then in the 1950s within our very highly industrialized country or what was becoming a highly industrialized country, there was such a huge shift. So within 50 to 60 years, we created this extreme human lesson of how we have birthed our children and how we've entered into this planet. It's just powerful that we shifted so drastically, but there's so much hope that we can regain that balance of the organic natural birth. Well, in my, um, this, I, I just returned night before last from mainland China and this was my ninth trip to mainland or Taiwan. And I've been looking at that culture, which in in mainland in 1996, they had a 6% cesarean section rate. And now, just um, um, 12 years later, um, in 2000 and, or, no, 1996, what is it, 20, yeah, 18 years later, the cesarean section rate is about 79% in mainland China. And the Chinese government has finally issued, through all of their regional health authorities, um, a proclamation or an edict, if you will, we must stop unnecessary cesareans. We must reduce the the rate of cesarean. And there, they blame it on the women. Like, the women are asking for it, but... I I looked at a doctor who gave me that um, reason, and I said, oh, just blame it on women. So if a woman comes to you and says, uh, I'm tired of my left hand, I'd like you to cut it off, um, you're going to comply, or are you going to question what her motivations and her reasons are? And in Sweden, if you come to your gynecologist or your obstetrician, um, first you'd go to a midwife, but if you did end up in a in um, someone's office, whether it be midwife or obstetrician, in the country of Sweden, and you say, "I would like a primary cesarean," like I'm have I'm pregnant with my first baby, and I would like to have a cesarean, and they say, "Well, what what reasons?" Uh, well, I don't want to experience any pain. Um, I'm afraid of giving birth uh, naturally. Um, and the doctor or midwife will refer you to a psychiatrist first. <laughs> so, um, to, what a stigma to work out your issues sure. with a process that is completely part of a normal woman's uh, psychosocial um, behavior. I mean, giving birth starts with your first period. Um, maybe it starts with your own birth. We could go all the way back to that. But how you look at birth is so crafted by what people tell you about the experience. And if we, if we become we being the, uh, the, the women who have birthed without 
struggle, not without the perception of pain. You know, that's a whole nother discussion, Dulcinea, but um, that if you birth with ease and you enjoy your birth, and I would have had 10 children if I could have kept a husband, but <laughs> I stopped at three, and I'm glad I did. But, but for me, I enjoy the process of pregnancy, and the act of giving birth is somewhat sensual for, for me. It, it, it just, just felt good. It felt so wonderful to release the baby. And most women's perceptions are not that. It's, it's pain and suffering and, and hardship and, and lots and lots of fear. So we've, we've created that in the last 50 years as well. Those belief systems have been very detrimental to our conscious evolution as a species, to uh, the empowerment of women in this country and globally, and as we, we all are aware of, there are also a plethora of childhood behavioral disorders and issues that may possibly very well be linked to the drugs and the fear and the induction of this birthing nightmare, is what I would like to call it, that we've experienced. And it's just so awesome and wonderful that there are missionaries and leaders like yourself and Ina Mae Gaskin who are really trying to counteract these negative belief systems that are not accurate for most women and really focus on empowering women. Well, you can can change your beliefs like you can change your clothes. I agree. you, You don't have to carry forth beliefs. Um, and and values you can you can exchange them and my approach has always been give women the the science the evidence and the uh, and the tools to make decisions based on the empirical data uh, take for instance water birth there has the estimated number of water birth since the since the mid 1980s has crossed over into over 300,000 women having given birth in water not just labored in water but actually birth their babies into that extended womb that's warm and and luscious and easy for the baby to transition from one womb to a larger one with a view and then up mm-hmm. into the into the air. So 300,000 women and babies without incident, um, as opposed to what the obstetricians are claiming that all these horrible things could happen. Well, if we stood on the street corner and claimed all the horrible things that could happen with an epidural... <laughs> I, I I think some women would be, you know, outraged or all the horrible things that could happen with the cesarean. Women would be outraged as well. So there there has you mentioned the word balance. And when I'm in China, ever since my first trip, I've always crafted my presentations and my teaching to doctors and midwives and parents around the word harmony because that's a very important concept in um in China in the eastern philosophies creating yeah. harmony in your life and balance in your life um makes you um a a healthier person and and provides more vibrancy more aliveness and so if you if you look at those things that will create harmony and balance while you're pregnant that affects your baby. If you look at those things that create harmony and balance during your birth experience you'll you'll have a mother that will breastfeed longer, that will be a better parent, that will have an easier time. And I don't like to use the word better and always and never and things like that, but but there is a connection now 
psychologically and physically uh, on how the immune system uh, of the baby works and and what actually happens to brain development for both the mother and the baby um, uh, throughout the birth process and the, and the first year of life. So my approach has always been about um, providing the information so that women can choose to have a harmonious, um, uh, respected birth. I think that is so important. I know for myself, and as you know, I had a baby last July. He's about um, eight months now. And I have a very strong background in science and scientific research. I have a degree in molecular cellular biology and social psychology. So I I found that myself needed a very balanced process, and I was attended by midwives at a local research hospital here in San Diego. And then I recognized that my spiritual intuition led me to shift from that institution to where I did have some great midwives and some great um, experiences, but I shifted over to a freestanding birth center about 34 weeks and was able to, at that point, stop all the tests and the fluid, you know, all those abundance of those things that they recommend, especially because I am I was 35, so they wanted to do extra <laughs> tests and, and, and such on me, and was able to finally just relax and enjoy the process. And so I found for myself that, as you mentioned, using science and tools allowed my values and beliefs to be shifted positively I took three educational classes, one at the birth center, uh, one birthing from within, and one hypnobirthing because I had a background in hypnosis. So I really merged three different educational systems to help support me so that when I came to that moment, because it was my first birth, I could feel extremely empowered and know you were meant to do this. You have a an abundance of tools, more more than most. <laughs> yeah, tap into those and do what you were designed to do, and it was awesome. So now, naturally, I, I've uh, attracted people like yourself and other people in this industry who are really focused on shifting and empowering women through the awareness of these options. Knowing you can do water birth, you can go to a birth center, you can do a home birth. All these things are safe. I mean, there's a myth in our country that the hospital is the safest place to have a baby. And when I tell people I had a, my little boy at a birth center, the first response I get from people who don't have the awareness that this is a healthy option is, weren't you scared for your baby? And I'm thinking, no, I'm, I was more scared for your baby in the hospital, actually. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that because I get um, – from pediatricians all the time um, that are against water birth, their argument is, um, you know, focusing on the baby. And I counter it that my argument for water birth also focuses on the baby, (laughs) that the baby receives such uh, benefit from an undrugged, aware, conscious mother that, um, pediatricians who see the water babies and, and have them next to a baby that was born with an epidural or a drugged mother can tell the difference right away, right away. If we had five babies lined up and only one of them was born in the water, I had a pediatrician tell me that, that works in a busy hospital that does lots of water births when she goes in to do um, evaluations on the babies, she can pick the water baby out immediately because that water baby has uh, has uh, an awareness and a consciousness and 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 is awake and very calm as opposed to the baby the other babies that are born with drugs on board and and stressed and when when we trigger that stress system the the baby approaches um, its immediate postpartum period with a, a, a good deal of stress that it has to overcome before it settles into um, to attachment and 
uh, and the other processes that we know are vital to brain development. And I, you know, I don't want to offend any mothers who've who've had the epidural or had the the cesarean, not necessarily by their choice, but every single time I have given uh, a talk to parents about brain development of the newborn and during the first year, mothers will come up to me and say, oh my God, that explains it. That exp- I get this every single time. And the, the light bulb goes off and they say, that's why I had a hard time breastfeeding. That's why I had a baby that cried all night. That's why I, you know... And 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 then maybe they've gone on to have a second or third or fourth baby that was born gently either in water or at home or, you know, in some way. And that baby is totally different. And so in in those group of women who who always come up to me and say, okay, what do I do now? And, and you know, my first baby is three years old or or uh, 10 months old or or whatever, what can I do to help that baby overcome? And there are things that you can do. So I don't want mothers to take offense if I I say that there's a difference because there is a difference. And, And we know what creates optimal or balanced or harmonious brain pathways and growth, which leads to happier healthier children and i would i would resort to the statement that i've heard oprah say uh several several times over the last 20 years when you know better you do better so <laughs> i i agree with you 100 percent that there's no intention to put any woman down because if you don't know better how can you do better and you know what bruce lipton always says is you're not responsible until you're responsible. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so so it's important for women to not feel offended, but to become gently aware that there are other options. Exactly, exactly, and that's why I wrote my book. Um, it'll it'll be uh, twenty years next year. The first edition of Gentle Birth Choices came out. It'll be ten years in 2015 that the second edition, the revised edition, came out. Um, and I can't believe I still get royalty checks. It's still selling very well because it's a timely issue. All of the all of the things that I put in Gentle Birth Choices, um, I call them principles. And a principle is something a truth that you, that was true 500 years ago. It's true today, and it will be true 500 years from now. And hopefully we will have evolved (laughs) and we won't need books like that 500 years from now. But, but the, the, you know, the core principles, you know, like, like this is a human, this is a mammalian experience. If you want to learn how to give birth um, and what to do with babies immediately afterwards, watch your dog, watch your cat, (laughs) you know. Um, and yes, we have thinking and and uh, and cognitive abilities that perhaps dogs and cats don't have, but but every single mother and every single baby, um, human baby, has the ability to birth themselves. That it's a program in the brain. I use a lot of metaphors today. Uh, when I'm talking to parents about computers and routers and and the baby is the laptop and the mother is the router <laughs> and, and and the baby has to be near the router to have that connection and if uh, and scientifically speaking, if the baby is further than eight feet away from the mother, it has no programming on on how to communicate. It has to. It has to be ideally on the mother's chest so it can find the breast that we're talking immediately after birth. And if you take the baby away and wash the smell off of it and, and, and wrap it up like a burrito and then put it back in mother's arms, the whole system has been interrupted. Mother and baby and placenta 
are one biological unit during pregnancy, during birth, and immediately postpartum. And sometimes parents will ask, well, well, how long should the, should the baby stay on my chest after birth? And I said, well, ideally until they go off to college. But um, <laughs> no, honestly, um, in, in, the, in the birth room, in the birth space, um, I recommend a minimum of two hours immediately after birth. And when I say that uh, to doctors and midwives, they'll, they'll go, oh, but the mother's so tired and, and she can't take care of the baby. And I said, there's no taking care of. Baby just has to stay on the chest and, um, and be, be in proximity to the breasts. So, and the baby will lead the way. You don't have to stick a boob in the baby's mouth. The baby will find the boob and attach. Watch your cat. Watch your dog. <laughs> you know? Sure, and sure. Human, human babies have the same innate capabilities. We call it a biological imperative. The first imperative for birth uh, is to birth, is to be born. It's programmed in the baby's brain to go through a sequence of events, you know, from the beginning of, of the, the, the birth process with the initial contractions all the way through to attaching to the breast. It's one process. You can't divide it up into first stage, second stage, third stage, and, and the golden hour. We have to erase that from our memories and erase it from our textbooks and write new textbooks based on what it takes to grow a human brain and create the best possibility for um, long, longevity, health, and vibrancy. So very, very important. So we're talking with Barbara Harper today. You can find her on the web at www.waterbirth.org. You can also pick up her book, Gentle Birth Choices, which also includes an awesome DVD that goes into further depth and allows you to experience a little bit of what we're talking about here today. Your book was very fantastic. I got it from you at a local baby fair here in San Diego. And I used I it throughout my pregnancy. Yes, throughout my pregnancy. It was like every time I took a class, I'd go back and then I'd refer to how you wrote about it or what you presented to really increase my confidence with my choices. So thank you so much just for me on a personal level. And I hope that many women <laughs> who are listening can also find that benefit. I, I have received over the 20 years thousands and thousands of letters and emails um, it's, I think it's in its seventh or eighth printing. It's been translated into nine languages. And I just uh, signed a deal in mainland China to get um, an initial run of 10,000 books uh, printed within the next six months for in traditional Chinese. It's already in simplified Chinese for Taiwan. Um, that happened five years ago. But I can't wait for it to be in mainland China because they so desperately need correct information. So we'll have a, uh, a revised Chinese edition um, before, the, before this time next year. So exciting. It's just so exciting. I mean, you cover so many different topics, um, just from the idea of the revolution, the midwifery model versus the, you know, the option for a more traditional doctor OB. And then you go into the emphasis of water birth, and what I found to be a very important part for me as a pregnant woman was the mind-body connection, really yes. keeping my uh, positive attitude and my, my, my well-being mentally and emotionally through a journey of the unknown. Yeah, it is, it is unknown for, for first-time mothers um, and sometimes for second- and third-time mothers because perhaps they didn't have a... Um, a normal labor or an undisturbed birth the first time or the second time. Sure. And so when they kind of wake up to the possibility, um, they might be, be letting the process happen naturally for the very first time. And, you know, without an induction or without a scheduled C-section, um, and that can be just as scary even though you're um, an experienced mother. 
you're not sure. necessarily experienced um, uh, at an undisturbed birth. And I like to use the term undisturbed because even even the smallest things can disturb the process. A, a person in the room who is full of fear can make you fearful. And and you don't you don't have to communicate it. It comes through in the in the the super consciousness of the people in the room. You and the baby both pick up on that. I, I, one one of the things that I'd like to address is that babies remember birth, and that was a title of a book by my dear friend David Chamberlain, and um, prior to that book, I read. Um, Thomas Verney's first book, which was called The Secret Life of the Unborn Child. And Mm -hmm. that was a turning point in my consciousness when I read the book. It was uh, in the early, it was like 1981. And I'd already had my daughter and and it was a, a terrible hospital birth with everything done to me. But I could tolerate things being done to me, but what I couldn't tolerate was a forced separation just because of hospital policy. It was so hard for me because I worked in that hospital at the time that I gave birth to my daughter, Beth. I was working in uh, a step-down intensive care unit uh, for cardiac patients, but I had worked in maternity earlier, and one of the reasons that I quit maternity was because I I couldn't take the practices. I was always trying to put babies back with their mothers, and in those days we didn't have rooming in, we didn't have skin to skin. We, you know, it was the babies were allowed to come out of the nursery um, three times a day for breastfeeding. They had to stay in the nursery at night. We had to bottle feed them. Uh, so mothers could rest and sleep. And the things that we did, you know, for scientific practices, I, from the from the very first day on my first maternity unit, I tried to change things. And I, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of got kicked out, basically. <laughs> you know? I understand that you're a revolutionary. <laughs> so I chose I, I chose an easier route, which was cardiac intensive care and and neurosurgical intensive care. And I'm glad I had that training because it made me think on my feet. And so when I trained to become a midwife, I, I had those um, life saving skills um, yeah. already implanted in my brain, and then I could put them back and 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 not use them, but. The prince. What what happened for me when I read Thomas Verney's work? Doctor Tom Verney is a uh, psychiatrist um, in um, in Toronto, Canada, and the secret life of the unborn child, which I knew innately, but he um, wrote in his book that the baby is conscious and can hear and remember and um, and grasp everything that is going around. And now we have scientific evidence that proves that the, the um, blood flow of the fetus, of the baby in the womb, is tied to the mother's emotions and her feelings and, and her thoughts. So the, the, the actual even oxygen that goes to the baby's brain um, is very much influenced by the, the surroundings the, and the sensations that the mother experiences. So a calm uh, pregnancy and a calm mother produces a calm baby. And um, when I, the first time I taught in China in 2005, um, I asked the audience, which was all doctors, to raise their hands um, if they believed the statement, babies remember their birth. And not a single hand went up. And I turned to my interpreter, who is also a doctor, and I said, did I just make a cultural faux pas? Do people in China not like to raise their hands? 
And he looked at me and he said, no, nobody believes the statement, babies can remember birth. <laughs> so, mm. so I had to shift gears a little bit. I was there to give a water birth training. But I said, we must take some time and cover one of the gentle birth principles that the baby is a conscious participant. And the yeah. baby's not the baby is not just a conscious participant, Dulcinea. The baby sure. is the the baby is the driver of the experience. Yes. yes. This this is the baby's birth and the baby knows how to execute it, knows how to get through as long as the pelvis is in a good position and you're not lying on your back and, and pushing, you know, for hours but in an upright position and opening your pelvis and opening your throat and allowing the baby to do what it has to do, it's going to turn and it's going to descend and it's going to find the narrowest passage and it is going to completely birth itself. You, You as the midwife or doctor do not have to deliver the baby. And this concept, um, I, I was just in in labor and delivery rooms in China, where they allowed me to supervise births and 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 take the hands off of the perineum and and let the ba- and demonstrate how babies do this without you having your hands on the baby's head at all. And there were audible gasps in the room the first the first the first birth that I went to, where we demonstrated. There were about thirty students in the room, and the baby did this complete um, uh, one eighty while it was hanging out of the vagina, and everybody in the room went, oh! you know, uh-huh. <laughs> it never, was a new experience. They, they had never ever allowed that to happen and uh, and i i can't tell you how many american midwives and american doctors when i show the films of that are just blown away again audible gasp it's like but in china they they were they they clapped (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) it was exciting i think it's tony you present an analogy that um, I think you were in a lecture and a doctor felt invalidated about him not having, like, why be there if I'm not hands-on? And you gave the analogy of, well, don't you think we need lifeguards at the beach? But people can swim without them. Exactly. Exactly. And I thought that was so profound for the common person and then especially educated medical personnel. I mean, yes, you're needed for an emergency, but in fact, babies were born to birth themselves. They were created for this by a divine creator. And us as men are very humbled and as mothers, extremely humbled that we're not leading this process that's happening within and around us. Exactly. And I, I reassure providers all the time. Um, and, even as, and water birth taught us this. Water birth, you know, when I trained as a midwife, I was taught to put pressure on the baby's head and put the baby's head down and then lift it up and turn the shoulders and, you know, reduce a cord and do all this work that only a midwife or a doctor can do. And um, with water birth, we watched it happen all by itself. And so we started doing what I call dry glove births. In other words, the mother's in the water, but I never put my hands in the water, never put my hands on the baby. We let her guide the baby out, and the baby knows what to do, and, and daddy's hands would, would catch be the first one, or mother's mm-hmm. hands would be the first ones to touch the baby. Yes. And yes. It's, still, it's still a struggle today in, in American hospitals and birth centers, and even with home birth midwives, it's still a struggle because what's being taught in the school, I, I, every single time I teach a professional training, there are a half a dozen midwives or doctors that come up to me and say, "Why didn't I learn this in school? Why, why you know, why, why am I just hearing this for the first time?" And I said, "It, you know, once again, it's, it's." Our textbooks are probably 10 to 20 years behind 
the cutting edge research that in in craniosacral therapy, in psychoneuroimmunology, in in pediatric psychiatry, you must look at what's happening because of the internet explosion at a very rapid rate and and adjust your practices to the 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 new information. Certainly. It's important to stay attuned to journals and articles and I mean, you yourself just on Facebook are passing out continuously, you know, science and sensibility. I saw that on there recently and then abundance of other articles. It's important to stay in tune with people who are leading in consciousness and are presenting science, fact, belief, and then incorporating them to create, as we've mentioned, that balance. Well, I think it's it's hard for people to understand the how conscious and and how conscious babies are and where where consciousness begins because we we could have that that conversation that says the consciousness begins at conception and then that gets into that gets into a whole another discussion about abortion and things like that and and um but um I don't think that consciousness ever goes away. We it, we we choose to enter, we leave, and perhaps perhaps we re-enter, and that then and that that goes beyond most people's capabilities of their belief systems. You know, like this is this is one corporal experience. We have a body. Uh, we have a brain, and look look how medicine has divided us into so many different factions. You know, if you have mental illness, you go to a psychiatrist. If you have heart disease, you go to a cardiologist. If you have uh, kid, kidney disease, you go to a urologist. You know, the specialization. Um, the specialization, uh, and I think it was Buckminster Fuller who said. You know, we are more than the sum of our parts, and yeah. and if we if we don't see it in the whole picture, then we're going to lose. You were going to lose the 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 consciousness of uh, and and the whole reality. Um, I agree. So I agree. We we have to see it as that whole, and Barbara, that's why. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I apologize. Go ahead. I was going to say Barbara Marks Hubbard. Um, she's a conscious evolutionary in her 80s, and she really reiterates that without focusing on the birth aspect. And then I recall reading in your book, Gentle Birth Choices, about the birth activist Janine Baker, who introduced the concept of conscious conception a couple Mm -hmm. of decades back. So there are plugs for people of this consciousness around birth and that we're part of a larger whole. Well, I've had the more reconditioning. I've had the pleasure of um, having been one of the founding um, board members of the American Holistic Nurses Association um, back in the early 80s. And um, there was this movement, uh, this holistic movement uh, with the American Holistic Nurses. We have the American Holistic Medical Association. They're still uh, active today, and we used to all get together combined the doctors and the nurses combined and we learned from such great people like jerry jampolsky and and Barbara yes. marks hubbard and and yes. um, oh uh, some of the most amazing um, um, uh, Native American healers and um, so i I had that the that upbringing in that realm of consciousness and I've worked for amazing, amazing people uh, along the way um, who, um, who led me in that direction and I, and I was like, why not take it back to source? You mentioned Binny Dansby in my, in my introduction and Binny was the, was the one that, that really connected me with what Thomas Verney was saying and Thomas Verney founded the um, uh, Pre and Perinatal Psychology Association, which is now called the Association of Pre and Perinatal, Pre and Perinatal Psychology and Health (APA). 
And so that's 25 years old now. And um, the amount of research that's been done to connect adult behavior with source, which is birth, or the, the primary developmental period begins before conception and goes through the end of the first year. And that is the time of brain development. Um, we're basically born with all of the neurons that we're ever going to have. And it's how those neurons get connected. And I, I didn't, I don't think I said this in Gentle Birth Choices, but it'll be in the next book. We're either moving towards connection or we're moving towards separation. And Absolutely. that's a huge, 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 huge difference in the way our behavior and our health and our longevity is shaped. Um, I, I just, one of my deepest desires is for one government health body. I don't care which country, I don't care which state, which province, but, but if just one governmental health body would completely understand the influence of the primary developmental period on um, all the development of mental illness, the development of um, diseases that we associate with aging, um, with, with chronic disease, if they would understand the link, then all of that money that we put towards healthcare in one generation could go towards taking care of pregnant women and, and birthing those babies um, undisturbed, we would see a complete reverse in one generation of our understanding of health and vibrancy. You know, feed, feed women the right food and nutritious food and, and feed their brains with positivity and, and, um, and good statements and, and, and how miraculous their bodies and how miraculous their babies uh, and talented their babies are. Um, I, 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 I pray for it every day. Just give me, just give me one health authority. I don't care if it's, you know, in China or Belize or Mexico or Malaysia, India, just one health authority where we yeah. can track the population over a period of two generations. And I, I hope I live that long to see that. But if not, the people who come behind me will see it. Certainly. Um, that's, we're here and responsible and aware. Exactly. Exactly. Most definitely. So, that next, that next, I've got two books that I'm working on, um, and the very next one is called Birth, Bath, and Beyond, um, a practical water birth guide for parents and providers, and um, that's that's going to cover the whole water birth topic. It'll come out um, hopefully at the end of this year. I'm about halfway through the writing and editing process. And I've been gathering interviews and uh, articles and references and research on what I hope will be my seminal book, and that is called um, Embracing the Miracle, How Pregnancy, Birth, and the First Hour Influence Human Potential. Mm. And I've been, I've been teaching workshops on that uh, for about the last three years as I've been doing um, the interviews. And... Every time I do a new interview, uh, I, I just—it's uh, like, oh, please, just, just give me, just, just give me solid time where I can just write this because it's so timely and so important. But new research comes out every single day that verifies how birth, pregnancy, birth, and the first hour absolutely influence human potential, longevity, and health. That is such an important topic, and I think that you have laid an amazing and very powerful foundation through your vast, very widespread teachings and workshops and outreach, and it just it will just continue to grow. And, and our generation, I feel, is a very conscious generation. I was just thinking the other day, all my friends post their food on Facebook, 
and it's like chia seed butter and like rose petals. <laughs> and I was thinking, gosh, my parents' generation must think we are crazy if they look at what we are eating and what we are doing. So it, I see that there is a very clear shift occurring in food and thought and mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. and creativity. So I have so much hope that the efforts that you, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Michael Tamora, and, and, uh, and many, many visionaries and consciousness leaders are putting out there, and particularly it's very important for pregnancy, birthing, and from the child's entrance into the world from that point forth, it's very clear that what we experience during pregnancy has an impact on us as human beings. And I can say that for myself, and I see that already at eight months with my son, He's a very alert young little fella, and we were all natural birth and in water, and he is just, since day one, he tells me how it goes. He's very clear-minded. Um, mm-hmm. He's very advanced. It's it's very clear that I, my consciousness was open, and he mm-hmm. is expressing that, and it's repeated to me, nine out of ten people who meet him, he is so alert. <laughs> that is the first thing yes. I am told when they meet him. And that's just my own personal experience, but I have hope and faith that there are hundreds and thousands of me across the globe occurring in 2014. <laughs> and, and, and there are, and I think this, this current um, uh, objection to water birth that the American College of Obstetricians and the Pediatricians of the American Academy of Pediatrics put forth was nothing more than God's way of advertising water birth. Further, um, I agree. I agree. Because it's given it's given us a platform. Today, uh, uh, we're recording this on uh, April um, 4th, uh, 2014. To just today, the American Association of Childbearing Centers released their position statement on water birth and the preview of a study that they've conducted from their membership, um, which talks about over 3,000 water births um, uh, in birth centers uh, over a period, I think it was about five, a five-year period, 2007 to 2012, and um, with outstanding statistics, outstanding no problems with mothers and babies. As a matter of fact, in, in all of the recent, uh, more recent um, retrospective analyses uh, or analyses of water birth, um, the water babies are always better. You know, less less trauma, less admissions to NICU when compared with babies who aren't born in water. So my my byline is water birth easier for moms, better for babies. <laughs> And that really connects to the beginning of the hour where you said that if there are five babies born, that the ability to pick out the baby born in water is clear. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. And yeah. and I have a theory about the, that Dulcinea, though. Um, first of all, it was an undrugged mother. Um, second of all, it was a mother who had no separation whatsoever. In the water birth, we've always taken that baby out of the water and put the baby up on the mother's chest. Yes. We, wait, we wait for the placenta um, to either the cord stop pulsing or the placenta is just incidentally born after the baby comes up to the chest. And, and it's, it has to, a lot to do with that no separation. Remember, we're either moving towards connection, that's the connection, or towards separation. We take the baby away and rub it down and wrap it up and give it back. The connection is is not as strong. Um, We put a hat on the baby and the mom can't smell the baby's hair, the nice, goopy, wet, sloppy hair, and the baby's (laughs) covered all over with the microbiome from the mother's vagina and getting its first immunization that way, and the baby's swallowing the fluids from the mother's vagina and rectum and, and, um, you know, getting covered all over with germs. That's, That's the perfect place for baby to be. And and what's happening? And so the the water baby, yes, the birth was easier for the mother, but the fact that they come immediately to the chest without interruption, I think, contributes 
immensely, immensely to that process of having an awake, aware, alert, quiet, uh, focused um, uh, new child. I agree. And I had that personal experience and it was just awesome. It was life-changing. It was transforming. It was a miracle. And it was one of the experiences that I, I, I still yet <laughs> very rarely can't find words to place on it because it was so powerful for me, powerful for my baby, my baby boy. And it, it's one of those things, like you mentioned as well, I, would, I just want to get pregnant. I just want to have baby after baby because it was so <laughs> awesome. It was so wonderful for me. So I'm just so blessed. And I want to thank people like yourself, Barbara, who are really out there making a difference for women and empowering us to know there's another way and there are other options. You can find more about Barbara Harper at www.waterbirth.org and also in her book, Gentle Birth Choices, which includes a CD, DVD for you to to interact with. And I recommend all moms, providers, women, and just people who are in the conscious realm really reach out to help other women support them with this important and life-changing information. Every woman's birth is an opportunity to powerfully transform. Only when women feel empowered and gently choose the course of their birth can we, as a global society, positively change the consciousness of generations beginning at conception and exponentially shifting during the course of labor and the grand finale of baby's first breath. The revolution of birthing begins with creating a love-based mind-body connection for each woman that fosters the birthing warrior from within and by surrounding her with positive, kind, and loving supporters who believe in her inherent ability to birth her child. Let the revolution of natural birth, water birth, and conscious birth continue, one birth at a time across the globe. Please join me in the future on the revolutionary independent production of Evolution Revolution, as well as in the Evolution Revolution archive shows with inspirational authors and leaders that can be found in iTunes for any time listening or downloading by searching under the podcast section, Dulcinea Contreras. These archive shows are available 24 hours a day and at no charge and include divine talent such as Neil Donna Walsh, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Barbara Hanklau, Dr. Amit Goswami, Gary Zukoff, David Robert Ord, Robert Friedman, Richard Lawrence, and many, many more. Please share Evolution Revolution with others who may desire to join us for an enlightening experience, and be sure to connect with me on Facebook via the Evolution Revolution Radio fan page with keywords Dulcinea333 or on Twitter at Dulcinea3333. And you can also find several of my book reviews from authors who have appeared on Evolution Revolution and Voices of Change at www.goodreads.com. I am a revolutionary, clairvoyant, teacher, writer, editor, healer, and leader with a diverse background and vast array of offerings. Please explore more about me and Evolution Revolution at www.dulcineacontreras.wordpress.com. You can also explore more about our guest today, Barbara Harper, at www.waterbirth.org. Thank you for joining Evolution Revolution today with my honored guest, Barbara Harper. Thank you so much, Barbara. It's been a pleasure. And likewise, Dulcinea. Thank you for doing this work. Thank you. Much gratitude to you for listening and supporting the revolutionary independent production of Evolution Revolution Radio. I wish you all abundant peace, joy, miracles and love today and always abundant angel blessings goodbye
Barbara, we're going to have to both hang up. This is not activating the, the end. <laughs>